Okay, we're going to start a little uh, short summer series as there's not a lot left, but we should have about four weeks or so. And so we're going to do a little study on women of the Bible. And of course, there's plenty of women in the Bible. We just finished the uh, And God series that we did, and that was all gentlemen. And so now we're going to turn to some of the ladies of the Bible and begin the study of those ladies and what happened to them and so forth. So ladies, you're up. Your turn. You're up. And uh, uh, the Bible is an honest book. Makes no attempt to cover anything. Says what it says. And you got to take it for what it says. Doesn't try to hide anything. Doesn't try to make it uh, different from what it is. And so uh, Joshua chapter 2 for our study of a lady today. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to first identify the lady and then we'll go on think about the story. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. Joshua the son of Nun went out to Shittim two men to spy secretly saying go view the land even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And so the lady for tonight is Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. Oh, she didn't come from a place called harlot. <laughs> All right. That's a prostitute, is what that is. Harlot is a prostitute. So here you go, ladies. We're going to start out with a prostitute. Uh, first lady on the list is a prostitute. The Bible doesn't make any excuses, it just says she's Rahab the harlot, and she was a prostitute. And you, would, you could hardly imagine the attempts that people make to make her not be that. <laughs> people have gone to all lengths to say, well, she wasn't really a harlot. She wasn't. But the Bible comes right out and just says she's Rahab the harlot. And it says it not in just one place here, but in other places. And uh, uh, there are attempts to make her not be a harlot uh, are noble, I guess, uh, <laughs> noble, and they're trying to put a good spin on it, but the Bible asks you, don't take it, put any spin on it, take it for what it is. This is Rahab the harlot. And you can see there's a couple things that they do. They say uh, that she was an innkeeper. All right. She was an innkeeper, and she ran a motel, sort of. Uh, and they said, well, so when this calls were, they stopped these two spies that Joshua sends into Jericho, stop at her house, they're just stopping at the motel. Uh, <laughs> the problem is, is that in those days, no such thing as a motel, or a hotel even, what they were called in those days was a con, K-H-A-N, and they were empty buildings. And there were the towns, in, usually in, not in the town itself, it could be, but outside the edge of town, there'd be an empty building. And if you were passing through, uh, you were allowed to stay at the con, uh, you might have to get the keys from somebody. They let you in and you can stay there. It usually was a, a building built in a square with an open spot in the center. So as you're traveling, you take your donkey and put it in the center and you can stay there. And uh, when Mary and Joseph said there was no room for them at the inn, that was really a cop, which was just an open place. It wasn't like there was somebody looking over it. And so, uh, no such thing as an innkeeper as we know it in this time. So, 
You may try to clean her up, call her an innkeeper. Unfortunately, that's not the, the truth. And then the second thing is, they say she used to be a prostitute, not anymore. And she used to be a prostitute when the story begins. And like happens with people, uh, they have a reputation for who they are, and their reputation doesn't go away. And that is true. Reputation does linger with people, and I suppose that is a possibility. However, I find it strange that these two gentlemen come into town and go right to her house. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much the point. If you're going to go in somewhere, it's a place where they let people in, then it happens to be the home of Rahab the harlot. So you say, well, what's a prostitute doing becoming here a major person in the story of the city of Jericho? Well, let's go on and see and see what opens up. I want to turn to chapter 2. You're in chapter 2. And I want to read verse 21. <clears throat> this will center our thoughts on what we want to say. And she, that is Rahab, said, According to your words, so be it. She sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And so uh, we find that she takes a red scarlet line. I'm going to call it a rope. It may not be a rope. Exactly as we know a rope, but she ties a red rope on her window. And we're going to come back and think about that as we go along through the story. Um, so, let's see what happens. Verse 2. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come unto thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out the country. So two men are sent from the other side of the Jordan River. And if we have uh, the Mediterranean Sea, we always put uh, Jerusalem there so we kind of know. And we have here the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, and between them, the Jordan River. On this side of the Jordan River, it's about eight miles, uh, is the camp of Israel. Israel over there, Joshua's camped over here. About eight miles from the camp, which is on the edge of the Jordan River, is the city of Jericho. All right? It's close to, fairly close to the Jordan River. It's a major place of commerce called the City of Palms. And uh, these two spies come in, and you wonder to yourself, well, if they're spies, how come they're identified immediately? Didn't they supposed to sneak into town and check it out, right? Well, how did they get identified the moment they walked in? Somebody said, those guys are from the Israelites, and they're here to spy, run and tell the king of Jericho. And they run and tell. So how is it that they are so bad at what they do? That they're identified immediately as they walk through the gates of Jericho. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, you have to remember something about Israel. Forty years before they left Egypt. Now, they were slaves in Egypt. And they left Egypt. You remember the story as they come out of slavery in Egypt and they get blocked at the Red Sea, cross the Red Sea as God opens a place, and then they come through the desert. All right? They were 40 years, that was 40 years before. Now, what happened was the Bible says their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. So, as they come walking into town, <laughs> they don't look like anybody else. They got slave clothes on. 
that they've been wearing for 40 years, and God made it so that their clothes didn't wear out or their shoes. And, and that was one of the gifts he gave them. He gave them, of course, manna, right? Every day manna on the ground that they pick up and ground into flour and made bread. Uh, he gave them water from out of a rock various times. And then uh, he made it so their clothes and shoes didn't wear. So if I came in here tonight wearing the clothes I wore 40 years ago, <laughs> you know, you'd see bell-bottom pants. I used to wear bell-bottom pants 40 years ago, right? Leisure suits. I'm glad they went away. They don't want to wear them. So, so somebody's got a pair of clothes that they wore for 40 years. They're going to stand out and be different. And immediately they're identified. Because I'm sure people had seen the Israelite camp, and you see these people walking around in these clothes, and they say, well, wow. Look at the clothes they wear. So obviously they're identified as soon as they walk in the gates. Somebody follows them to Rahab's house where they go in. The only place where they're going to be allowed to go in. And they go in to a harlot's house and hope there that they'll be all right. So the king says, go talk to Rahab. He knows Rahab. There's a reason Jericho is going to be destroyed. There's a reason for it. And uh, all the Canaanites, because uh, harlots were everywhere. That was the way of life in Canaan. Any religious service was connected with prostitution. The entire religious system of the Canaanites was prostitution. It's how they worshiped Baal. Or as part of Baal worship. So it's everywhere. It's, it's through, through the whole country. And it's part of the reason because God said uh, their cup of iniquity is now full. I've had it with these people. And that's why Joshua is going to go in and overcome and just wipe the place out. And so uh, they go to the prostitute. Verse 4. And the woman took two, the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me. Now she's talking to the king's messenger who came and said, Look, uh, uh, we want those two guys. We know they're Jewish spies. So she says, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. I didn't know who they were. Came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, the men went out. Whither the men went, I, I don't know. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. And so the two men come in, and she says, okay, I'm going to hide you fellas. And so she hides them on the roof. This would be a flat roof. It would be a flat roof. And uh, um, <coughs> lying on the flat roof is flax. Big plants are used to create clothing, right? create cloth. And you dry it out, and so she's got a flat roof, or she's drying flax. And some people say, well, see, she used to be a prostitute, but now she dries flax, and she makes cloth. Well, that could be true. That could be true. Uh, and we think what she made was red cloth. All right, red is a very popular color, and we know that way into the New Testament, who's the lady that made red cloth? Scholars. Lydia. Lydia, in the book of Acts, who was a maker of red, it says, or red cloth. Very popular thing. So we think Rahab was making red cloth. Highly possible. But the flax is laid up on the roof, and as is the way it seems to read, uh, in the original is that she hid one on some place up on the roof and then another guy in the other spot. It covers them up with flax 
and they're laying under the flax, the big plants on top of the roof. So she says to the king's men, look, she said, I don't know who they were, but they left just at dark. Of course, there's no such thing as street lamps, so you couldn't see them leave, but I, I know they left, and they headed out of here, and I'm sure they're going home, which would be back to the camp on the other side of the Jordan. So there's seven or eight miles. There are eight miles there to get to the Jordan and over to Jordan. Now what we know from what the Bible tells us is that the Jordan River was in flood stage. We know that was true. The Jordan River is in a flood stage. So you can't pass anywhere, just anywhere. Uh, anybody seen the Jordan River? Seen the Jordan River? Seen the Jordan? Ain't no great big deal. It ain't much of a river, all right? It's like the Oak Orchard Creek. Uh, but there are times when it flood and fill the whole plain with water. And that was one of those times. The Bible tells us it was in flood stage. And so she says, I'm sure they're going home. Go to the river and go after them. And so if you know the topography here, uh, there are little valleys that run to the Jordan Valley. And then there's, of course, high mountains along the edges go down to the river, Jordan River. She said, you better go, go after them, hurry up, get out there, and you'll catch them probably if you go. So verse 7, the men pursued them <coughs> the way to the Jordan unto the fours, or the only place where you could cross. They said, we'll catch them there. And as soon as they were pursued after them, they were gone out, they shut the gate. And so uh, the city is now closed, these men have gone out and are going along the Jordan. They expect to catch these fellows because that's what she said they went. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror is fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. He said, we are terrified by those people over across the Jordan. She said, and she runs an open house, okay? So she gets a lot of information as it's coming around. And she said, everybody's scared to death of you people. And uh, uh, they're, they're terrified that you've come this far Here's why, verse 10. For you have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So she says our first recollection thing that sticks in our mind is 40 years before. Now Rahab probably wasn't even born 40 years before. But the story lingers that Moses led these slaves, over a million of them, to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh said, go get them and bring them back. He sends his army. God suits the big cloud between them so the army can't figure out what's going on. He opens the Red Sea and the Israelites walk across on dry land. When they're all across, God removes the cloud. The army of the Egyptians says, let's have at them. we got a dry road. And they get in the middle of the Red Sea, and God closes the sea over them. So Egypt, not only being in total ruin, not one green plant left in the whole country. Uh, nothing left. Cattle are dead. Firstborn of Egypt are all dead totally devastated by what happened. But now the whole army is drowned in the Red Sea. And so the news spreads everywhere, all over, that Egypt is in ruins. And they just drowned, God drowned the army in the Red Sea. So we heard about that, that's 40 years ago. Now, when they came up 
And just so you understand why it's 40 years ago. Uh, Moses led them up to the Jordan River. He said, go in and spy it and check it out. Sent 12 spies in. Two spies, Joshua being one, Caleb the other, says, we can do it, let's take it. It's ours. And then the other 10 go, can't do it. And he started to cry. We can't get in. We can't go in. Oh, there's giants in there. We're going to die if we go in. God brought us here to kill us all. And so God says, get them people out of here. Wandering in the desert for 40 years till they all die. And we'll take their next generation in. Take their children in. And so that's why... 40 years ago, they heard about the Red Sea. Now, under Joshua, as Moses has died, he's up here with a camp on the other side of Jordan, getting ready to enter the land. And there's two kings over on this side. Uh, one is Sion, and the other one is Og. And these guys are tough hombres, famous for driving out the fiercest people in the area and taking it over. And they have two cities that they uh, have, and actually several cities uh, that they run on this side of Jordan. They're kings of that area. And they take on uh, uh, Sion, wipe him out. Og himself is actually a giant. He's one of those big guys like Goliath, nine, ten feet tall, famous for his huge bed. <laughs> He had a huge bed and made it in the Bible. This guy had it so big he couldn't sleep in a regular bed. And uh, the Israelites attacked them, wiped them out entirely. They and their fierce fighters and all the rest are gone. As the Israelites took them out. So they're thinking if they can beat this giant and his whole army, what are they going to do to us? We are in serious trouble if they cross that river. So we need to catch those spies, make sure they don't go back and tell us about the city, let all our secrets out. Right, so we gotta, we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And now she tells the spies, we're terrified of you. Everybody's terrified of you. And then... Here we go, verse 11. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth below. Now, up till this point, she's been giving them a basic uh, information about What's going on? And she says, you know, we're terrified because God obviously opened the Red Sea for you. And you came across. And now you come up to the two fiercest kings in the whole area and just wiped them out. And God is terrified. And then in her opinion now, not in their opinion, in her opinion, she says, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth below. Rahab says, the God you serve is in charge in heaven. And it's very clear he's in charge down here. That's her opinion. That's not their opinion. Why? Because if they really believed that God was in charge, they'd have just said, I give up. How can we possibly win if God's in charge of everything on earth? But that's not what they think. But that's what Rahab thinks. All right. She's the one who has made a decision from the information that she has, from the evidence as she has observed it and heard it, she says, it's very clear that the God of Israel is the real God. The one we're fooling around with, Baal and Ashtaroth and all the rest of them, that's, he's not it. The real God is your God, and he's in charge, not only in heaven, but down here on earth. So uh, that's her opinion of it, and she has taken evidence and made a choice 
to believe. So Rahab believes in God. From what? Just from the evidence that she's explained here. She said, that's why I believe, because those things happen. And they couldn't have happened in any normal circumstance. Somebody's got to be controlling circumstances. So you guys are it. Now, let's turn over to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 11. Back of your Bibles. Hebrews in the New Testament. After all the T's. Timothy and Titus is Hebrews chapter number 11. In chapter number 11 of Hebrews, we have a record of people who believe. They kind of call it heroes and Hebrews. These are the people who had faith and accomplished something for God because they believed in God. And who do you think is in the list? It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab, not the innkeeper Rahab, okay? The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. So it says that she had faith, she believed in God from the evidence that she had, and because she believed in God, she hides the spies. That's what she did. So she hid the two spies, and uh, that was what she did. Now, let's go over a couple more chap uh, pages to James. Book of James. James in chapter number two. Now, the story of Rahab is a story of faith. And we're here to think about the faith of this woman who, first of all, having a low moral life and living in a land where that was what it was all about, has concluded in her thinking that there is a real God and the Israelite God is the real God. And therefore, when the two spies come, right, they must be God's people and I'm going to protect them. Now look at James chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 20. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He says, silly people. <laughs> I said, O vain man. I mean, you silly people, you should know that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And so what happened there? What exactly happened? Well, Abraham didn't have a son. God promised him one. Well, his son is born when he's 99. That's a long wait. <laughs> and Isaac is born. And then as Isaac grows up, God says, take that boy of yours and sacrifice him on an altar. Abraham says, okay. And he takes the boy. They go away off in the mountain, goes up the mountain, builds an altar, and Isaac says, well, where's, where's the lamb? <laughs> Tough question. And he takes his boy and ties him up like a sacrifice on the altar, and he pulls out his knife, and he's, he's got it back. He's ready to kill him. And God says, okay. Okay. Now, what was going on in Abraham's mind? Well, that boy is supposed to be the promised boy that's going to bring a blessing to every family in the whole world. So, God promised me that. 
And if God wants me to kill him, the only conclusion I got left is after I kill him, he's going to rise from the dead. So here I go. That's more faith than I got, my friend. That's more faith than I got. Abraham was full of faith, and so he's, he says he sacrificed his son. He didn't actually sacrifice his son, but in his mind he did. So I'm going to do it, because if God can't tell a lie, and that's the promised son, then I'll kill him like he says, and he'll have to resurrect him. That's a lot of faith. And so, see, faith, you can say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in God. And well, can you prove it? Can you do something to prove that you believe in God? Abraham just did it. He sacrificed his son. In his mind, he'd already done it. All right. And so, verse 23, verse 22. Seeth thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. See then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot, not the innkeeper, justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way. So now Abraham, who's the father of the faithful, is compared with Rahab the harlot. So she got pretty high on a list. <laughs> she got pretty high on a list because they said she believed that God was real enough to take action on it, and the action she took was to hide those two slaves. You understand that the entire city of Jericho was looking for her. The king of Jericho was looking for her. Hiding two slaves is dangerous. Two spies is dangerous. Hiding those people is dangerous. He said, look, if God is, remember what she said? God is in charge of the whole world. God's in charge of the whole earth. He's God of the whole earth. If he is in charge of the whole earth, then I should be able to hide these spies safely. So up you go on the roof. Up you go on the roof. So there's always an argument among theologians. That's why I'd rather not be one. Because they're always arguing. Uh, Martin Luther said, uh, the book of James should be taken out of the Bible. He said, it shouldn't be in there. Because Martin Luther lived in a time when people thought the only way you get to heaven is first buy your way in with money. And they were selling indulgences. The Catholic Church was selling indulgences. So if you wanted to cover yourself, you gave the church some money. And then you said, oh, I'm part of the Catholic Church. I'm a member. So you got uh, baptized. Now I'm a member. I'm all set. You take communion, you're going to heaven. You're all set. So you just got to spend a little money, get baptized by the priest, and uh, whenever they hand out communion, you take it, and you're all set. And Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. you got to believe in God. So he was against works. But he lived in a time when they almost lost the idea that you had to have faith. It was almost gone. Because the Catholic Church almost killed that idea. He stood up. A lone voice for a while and said, No, you got to have faith. Now, people say, Well, is it works or faith? Forget about it. The question is if you got faith, if you got faith, can you prove it? What do you got to do to prove it? Well, he says, Faith without works is dead. If Abraham said, I got faith in God, but I'm not sacrificing my son, and you don't have faith in God. If Rahab said, well, I believe in God, but I'm not hiding them spies. Uh-uh. If you really believe that he's in God of the whole earth, you hide the spies. Now, people come along and they say, she's a liar, too. 
not just a, a prostitute. She's a liar. She lied about those guys up on her roof. I don't know what we're going to do with Rahab. God knew what he was going to do with Rahab. He put her in the book as one of the great people of faith. Now, how is it that she has rated so high in faith being a prostitute and telling lies? Look, she believes that there is a kingdom and God's in charge of that kingdom. And that kingdom is coming across the river. And they're coming to town. I'm getting in that kingdom. This kingdom, which happened to be Satan's kingdom, where she lived and operated, Jericho, Satan's kingdom, is going to be destroyed. All right. So uh, they're coming. I'm joining that kingdom. Because what? They crossed the Red Sea, right? And she says, you got rid of those two big nasty kings over there. Beat them into some, didn't just beat them to submission. Totally destroyed those two kings. They ceased to exist. So on those three facts, I believe that God is God. Do you understand the strangeness of that? The elders of Israel who walked free out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea themselves, drank water from a rock, a man from heaven whose clothes didn't wear out, whose shoes didn't wear out, didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They got to Jordan River and turned around and went back. So the people who actually lived it, who actually experienced the freedom of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea themselves, drank water from the rock, and went through those miraculous events, got to the promised land, and said, oh, we don't think God can get us in. We're going, oh, we're going to die. And you think, if anybody should have believed it, they should have believed it. But this harlot believed. She's the only one in Jericho who believes. But she took evidence, which she didn't have all of that they had. So isn't it a strange thing? Isn't it a strange thing that uh, <coughs> Rahab believes protecting the spies that God is real and that Israel, who were supposed to take the promised land, didn't. She says, I want to join God's people. I want to be a part of that. Right? She lived and she chose sides, so she hid them. Sometimes, my friend, the most privileged people have the least amount of faith. That the people who ought to know, that the people who ought to have seen it, who ought to believe, uh, have the least amount of faith. So uh, here's all the whole generation that died in the wilderness, and Rahab, a harlot, is way above them because she believes and has hid this slave. Now let's go back to uh, Joshua. She has just declared to the spies she believes in God. Verse 12, chapter 2, Joshua 12. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. Or let's make a deal, as we say. All right. Let's make a deal. Shall we? Uh, verse 13, that you save Alive, my father and my mother and my brother and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So she said, we like to live. We believe in you. I believe in you. I would like to make a bargain for my family. And the men answered her, our life for yours if you utter not our business. So the first part of the agreement is, uh, number one, keep it secret. Secret. What we've talked about, I want you to 
promise, you've got to keep it secret. Okay. Men answered, Our life for yours, verse 14. If you utter this, not our business. Shall be when the Lord has given us the land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. She let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt on the wall. Now, as we understand it uh, from various reasons today, uh, Jericho had two walls. They weren't excessively high. We read about walls in Babylon and Assyria where they're 100 feet high. These weren't excessively high, but there were two walls around Jericho. And so uh, they would stretch timbers over both walls and build houses right on the wall. She lives in one of these houses that's up on top of the wall with timber stretched across, and it's a flat-roofed house, she lives up there. And so she's got a window out. That's how she has a window out, all right? And she puts this red rope, which may have very likely been cloth. She's a, she spins flax, makes cloth. You're going to take cloth and wind it and twist it and wind it and twist it and drop it down over the wall. It's not a huge wall, uh, but drop it out the window and uh, you can climb down. And you can avoid the gate because your lock, gate's now locked and will get you out that way. All right, so she lets him down with this red rope, which is probably a cloth, really a cloth, through the window. 16. She said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide yourself there three days till the pursuers be returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. She said, Whatever you do, don't go back to camp now, because I sent those guys out to get you, and they're along the river looking for you. So back up to the mountains, up to the high ground, and just hide there until you see these pursuers go. And you can, then you can go home. And verse 17, men said under, we'll be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window by which thou didst let us down. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. Whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any man's hand be upon him. If thou utter this our business, we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. And she said, where we started, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away, departed, she bound the scarlet line in the window. And so, there's three things in the agreement. Number one, you've got to keep it secret. Number two, you've got to tie the red rope to your window. And number three, your family must be inside the house. Family's got to be inside the house. You got three things to do. Number one, shut your mouth. Don't tell. Make sure your family's with you and make sure that red rope is hanging out the window. I want that red rope hanging out there. So now let's think about the red rope for a minute and how this works. And the faith of Rahab. Obviously, she's scored very high on the list. She's made it on the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And James has gone on to say it's what a work she did. She actually acted, proved her faith by hiding the spies. And what's true? Well, number one, you should say uh, she did exactly Do exactly what you're told. Number one, do exactly what you're told.
what you're told. Do exactly what you're told. Faith must learn to do exactly what it's been told to do. We can't go off of it. We gotta do exactly what we're instructed to do. I just was reading this. The Bible is the most published book in the entire world of all times, and it is also the least read book at the same time. Published them by a million. Not much about reading it. <laughs> if you want to know what God wants you to do, if you're going to say, well, faith will do exactly what God wants me to do, then you've got to get in the book. You've got to figure out what it is that God wants you to do, exactly what he wants you to do, and you can find it. There are plenty of information in there tell you what you need to do. And so uh, she does exactly what she's supposed to do, hangs the red cord out the window, all right? Now, uh, number two, uh, don't, don't despise small things. They say, what? a big deal about hanging a red rope out the window. I believe in God. I believe he's the king of all the earth. I believe these people have the true God. If I believe that, I'm all set, right? They said, hang the cord up. That's not a big deal. If the cord hangs in the window or not, what difference does it make? Well, here's the thing that Jesus said. He that is faithful in little is faithful in much. Okay? You say, you're going to prove you got faith in God, and God wants you to hang a cord out the window. Then hang the cord out the window. Do it. Do it. Do what he says. If he's, that's what he asks you to do, then do what he says. Because there may be something much more important for you to do. But if God can't trust you with the little things, and that's kind of a rule in Christianity. God can't trust you with a small thing to do. You think he's going to give you a big thing. If he can't trust you with something that seems like it's not very important, what's he going to ask you to do after that? Jesus said, we remember the little things. He said, hanging that cord out the window doesn't seem very important. Well, it was. It was. It was. And things like that were true all through the Bible. God said to Moses, there's a rock there. You're going to go talk to that rock. And that rock, when you speak to that rock, the rock's going to open up. And there's going to be millions of gallons of water flowing out of the desert. And he got mad, and he hit the rock with a stick instead. He said, what's the difference? They got water both ways. Uh -uh. God said, that was your last chance. You're not going to the promised land. I said, speak to it. Do what I tell you. Do exactly what I tell you to do. And so uh, there's something about faith taking care to do that. Now, more than that, there's a symbol involved here. There's a reason that they uh, tell her to hang that cord out the window. Because that's, a, that's the door they used to get out. They got out the door, right? Through the window. And every Israelite, and they just had Passover over in Across the Jordan, they had just celebrated Passover. And Passover was take the blood and put it on the door, right? You take the lamb's blood and you put it on the sides of the door and the top of the door. And then when the death angel comes, he passes over your house. They tell Rahab, hang that red cloth, that red rope 
out the door. Well, that's the window. Well, it's the door to those guys. <laughs> they went out there. That's their door. All right. Hang that red cloth out of the window. What do you think it's about? It's a symbol. Same thing. There's something red at your door, and the death angel is going to go over you. Same as Passover. Symbolic. So it's important to keep those things that God's trying to instruct you to do. Keep those things. Pay attention to them. All right? and, and I think the, the fourth thing that bears uh, notice is it was a public statement. Right? Now, people of Jericho didn't understand it. Somebody might say, what's she doing hanging that red thing out the window anyway? Can't figure that out. But the entire army of Israel knew that's where Rahab lived. As they walked around the first time, because they walked, came in on the first day of the week and they walked around the city of Jericho, never said a word Went back to the camp. Did you see that red flag hanging down there? That's Rahab. That's the one who saved our spy. We know who that is. She's made a public statement by hanging that red thing out. We know who she is. And then the second day, and every time they walk by her, still there. She's still got her flag out. We know who she is. And, of course, comes the seventh day. The seventh day, they march around seven times. Seven times they go by the red flag. And then Joshua says, we've been blowing these ram horns. Funny sound of things, kind of odd sound of things. You, they still have them today. They blow them. They're odd sound. Those really sound like a trumpet. It's a strange sound. They're blowing these ram horns when they're walking next to the Ark of the Covenant, but nobody said a word. On the seventh day, they go around seven times. Now everybody's on the wall watching. What are they doing? And then Joshua said, now shout! And they shout. And it says the wall fell flat. So that at any point as they're surrounding this city, you could walk straight in. So they could walk straight in. Except for the little section of wall with Rahab's house. Isn't that cool? I think it's magnificent. That little section of wall stood, and it says they went up, and they said, Hey, Rahab, you can come out. We got you. You're covered. The only section of wall that didn't crumble into dust held that house with its timbers over the two walls, and there she is up in her house. Mom and Dad are here. Mom and dad and sisters and brothers are in the house like she said they would be. And uh, they said, if you're in the house, you're safe. Imagine if they said, ah, we'll just hang on out on the porch. <laughs> they're in the house. They're safe. And Rahab is saying something. As for me and my house, right, we will serve the Lord. We're going to do what God said. But Rahab's a wonderful character. Uh, of faith as she stands up and takes it. But it, it doesn't end there. This is where it gets real. I think it's really cool. All right. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. For those great theologians and for those great masters who wrote thousands of pages about why Rahab wasn't a harlot, she was an innkeeper, or why she was now a flax spinner and not a harlot, and we got a little information. Here we go. Chapter 1 of Matthew, this is a genealogy of Jesus. This is the family line of Jesus. starts with Abraham. Verse 5. And Salmon begot Boaz of Rechab, or Rahab. 
And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So the great-grandfather of King David is Salmon, and he married Rahab. He married Rahab the harlot. <laughs> Obviously, she stopped being a harlot because Salmon was a prince. He was of the tribe of Judah. He's a prince. And so when she comes out of that standing little section of wall and says, thank God, thank God we made the right choice and believed in God. Uh, some guy said, you're a pretty girl, you're coming with me. And it was Salmon. Now, interesting in this genealogy. It's always genealogy in the Bible goes from one man to his son, to his son, to his son. There's three uh, series of 14 generations recorded here. And only four women are mentioned. The first one is Rahab, who's a harlot. Next one on the list is Ruth, who was a foreigner from the tribe of Moab. All right, she's not even an Israelite. Of course, neither is Rahab. The next one down there is the mother of Solomon, who had been the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So uh, Rahab is a prostitute. Ruth was a foreigner. The mother of Solomon was an adulteress. She committed adultery with David. And the last lady mentioned happens to be Mary, who was a poor little maiden. So in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is a prostitute, an adulteress, a, a Moabite, which they said was a cursed people, and then Mary. And Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And well, that's, that's pretty good. Let's take a look. At Jesus' comment, and we'll be done. Matthew 21, over in Matthew chapter 21. <coughs> Jesus is telling them a little story about two sons. And he said to one of them, Father said, I want you to do this. Oh, I will, I will. And he never did it. And he said to the other son, I want you to do this. I don't want to do it. But he went and did it anyway. And so verse 31, chapter 21. Whether the twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first, the one who actually did it. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And John came unto you in the way of righteousness, you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him. And ye, when you had seen it, repented not after that you might believe him. Jesus himself said the harlots are going to heaven faster than you Pharisees. Matter of fact, you Pharisees got it all wrong. Harlots got it right. So if you want to say Rahab's a harlot, you go ahead and write out and say it. She still ranks in faith. Why? Because Jesus forgives. And he brings those people right into God's family. And they become his great, 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 grandmother. Rahab the harlot is in the direct line of Jesus Christ. So I'm glad she hung that scarlet cord out the window, huh? She got that right. She got that right. As that's putting their red rope out there, saying, this is me. And they saw it, and her only section that didn't fall was her little house. That's a great lady of faith who entered into the children of God and became. And when they whine about her being a liar, those sissies who whine about her being a liar, if it was up to them, they'd have turned into spies. She did right.
And you say, well, you mean you justify lying? I'm just saying when there's a choice to make, you make it for God. You do what you have to do. And she did what she promised, which was don't tell. Don't tell. That's what she promised. Hang the red cord. That's what she promised. Get your family there. And she came out way ahead, didn't she? Right from prostitute's house into the family of God. And because of her extreme faith, able to believe on such small evidence, she becomes part of the family of Jesus Christ. That's the story of Rahab the harlot. Next week we'll do another lady. Thank you.